Welcome everyone, you're listening to Do We Like Murder? It is a segment of the Decatur Public Library's long overdue podcast in Decatur, Texas. Today, we are celebrating a year of murder. Wow. Right, I'm talking about murder. Uh, yes. <laughs> We're not really celebrating. <laughs> Or, no. A year of a year of this segment already, which it's is interesting because we have talked about it for a year, mm-hmm. and we are not running out of things to talk about. No, so we've only had twelve episodes. Yes, I don't, I don't foresee that happening. I don't either. Which is unfortunate. Unfortunately, yes. there's always more murders. <laughs> and someone's always <laughs> writing books about it. Yes. That's true, so. yes. Though this one, because it is our anniversary episode, we decided that we weren't going to talk about books, but just about a murder that we thought was like sensational, that's been in the news at some point, that's just been kind of big. One of the things I love about our segment is that we typically pick books about murders that weren't big news. Yes. You know, like things well, that we really didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. We've not heard about this killing or this murderer or anything like that. Or it was old enough that we had yeah, not heard that about it's it. Been, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. so some of these I think that we'll talk about, I remember them happening, but I think... There may be a lot of people that some of this stuff is new to. Mm-hmm. So, one of mine is not a murder, but I had to include it. <laughs> well, I'm only going to talk about one um, because there's quite a bit in this entire story. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to talk about Robert Durst. Okay. Um, there's a lot, a lot of craziness. <laughs> and so, I'm only going to talk about this one guy. All right, so do you want to start or do you want to go over my little ones that I have here? Because I don't have a lot to say about them. I just thought I would throw some of them out there and we'd talk about them briefly. Want to do that? Yeah. So the one that is not a murder that I had to talk about was Lorena Bobbitt. Oh, yes. (laughs) Because that was very big and is still big in jokes. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and they People actually still... did a, a new documentary on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Or, yeah, I think it was Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. So she's come back into the into the spotlight. Well, and and part of the reason, uh, from what I understand, that, that she's come back into the spotlight is because of the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Um, she is fighting for domestic violence. Mm-hmm. We're fighting against it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not fighting for it. <laughs> so, um, so for those of you who don't know who Lorena Bobbitt is, um, in 1993, she was um, tired of her husband's abuse. And so while he was sleeping, she cut off his penis. And then from what I was reading, because I don't, I mean, it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I don't remember all of it. She was driving and and she was still holding it, and so she threw it out the window. <laughs> I, right. Yeah, I remember that. But then it was sewed back on, so they must have found they it. Found it, yeah. 
But I wouldn't have thought that they could sew it back on. Uh-huh. It's like when you lose a finger. If you find it fast within, enough and then... Fast enough, right? Yeah. I think it has to do with, like, whether the nerve endings are still uh-huh. intact and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. And it hasn't but started to... It's not like it was really easy for him or anything. I read that he had, like, all kinds of medical bills and therapy. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And he yeah. started a band called the Severed Members to try and pay for his medical bills. Um, oh, wow. And his porno career oh i didn't hear about that one. oh <laughs> i didn't hear about that either <laughs> oh, okay hi <laughs> so what do you watch denise <laughs> um so there is a picture in this article that i was reading of him now and she said that he still sends her letters Hmm. and like birthday she she called them love letters and love notes and valentine's day cards Mm -hmm. really oh that's the other thought i had (laughs) watching game of thrones they have very sharp knives she was supposed to have used a kitchen knife Mm -hmm. which i can't imagine was very sharp very sharp was this just like one cut, or did she saw? I don't think she could have sawed. No, no, he would have. He would have. Yeah, yeah he woke it up. up. Oh, a good kitchen knife is good and sharp if you keep. Yeah, your I was gonna sharp. say he. She might have, you know, just made like sure that. it was very sharp. Yeah, she might have been preparing for mm-hmm. this. Okay. Are you talking about Valyrian steel? Something like that. No, it's just one strike, and all their guts come out. <laughs> and I'm thinking of a kitchen knife. Okay, I just have to tell you all a dream I had last night. <laughs> Who was this after watching Game of Thrones? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had a dream that, I don't know if it was me or somebody else, we were fighting <laughs> with serrated knives. <laughs> so very weird. <laughs> anyway. That sounds like a long, drawn-out, and painful process. <laughs> right. Yeah, so uh, we can get the books and look up what that dream means. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So anyway, she just looks so different than this picture of her when she was young, and Mm -hmm. she actually did this. And um, he was not convicted of of anything, Mm -hmm. uh, abusing her, marital abuse or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they're both... Out there, free. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it was not a murder, but bodily harm. Yes. I don't know if I should really... I guess I'm just going to mention these, because they were big things. Okay. The uh, John Allen Muhammad, who was the sniper shooter over in the North Carolina area. Okay. Uh, it was him and his son. Uh, yeah, I, I remember I was going to... Yeah. I looked into that. Did I, did he do some of that in Washington D.C. as well? It may have been. I know it was over on the east. Because I thought I remember re- reading that it was Washington D.C. or area like that. Well, it says his place of birth was or death was Virginia, and it does say terrorized Washington D.C. Okay, I'd read something about North Carolina in this area or in this article. <clears throat> Maybe it wasn't. But I did. Yeah, I read someone on that as well. Yeah. So, what did you read about it? Well, because I, um, I remember hearing about it when mm-hmm. it was happening, 
and you know they found out that they were doing it from their car and they had a, an elaborate setup where they could park in a, and have like they knew their field of vision and they had like their little cutout where they could shoot from the back of their car i didn't know until reading about it that that he had this whole elaborate plan for you know adopting or like you know influencing all these children at like ymcas and stuff and trying to start like a terrorist cell in canada or something like that okay at least in what I read, that's, that's yeah. what, that, it said that was his plan, is that he was gonna, mm-hmm. they were going to do this, and then they were going to go and, and try to, like, mentor some boys and, and, like, bring them in to start training them to do the same thing. Wow. That is so scary. So when did this happen? Well, he died November 10th, 2009. Um, let's see. He was terrorizing in October 2002. Okay. Yeah. And the thing that was so scary about this is that it was people who were out getting gas typically mm-hmm. doing your normal day to day stuff and you're you're just shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From some random yeah. person and they were far enough away that nobody knew where the shots were coming from. You couldn't from. see, you didn't know where yeah. Yeah. That would be that's that it was terrifying just to think that you you know mm-hmm. anytime you go to get gas there's no telling. Yeah. That's really scary. Yeah. It says he killed 10 people and injured three, and it was like a 20-day shooting spree that he was on. Way too scary. Yeah. Didn't they end up doing something that gave them away, right? They, like, tried to rob somebody or something like that, and it was too obvious. Well, he kind of actually, uh, this article... um, which is from biography.com or something like that, was, yeah, it's biography.com, was stating that he had contacted a, um, was it a minister? Someone with the church, and had given him some information that connected them to a previous um, crime where he had it says he dropped a brochure and there were fingerprints on it mm. and so that's how they they were able to match it it said to immigration records and so that's how they caught him so he, it says that he his death date was November 10th 2009 and this was happening in 2002 um, did you read how he died then wasn't he executed? He was lethal injection. That was fast. <laughs> yes, for yeah, for the death yes. penalty. That that was fast. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Seven years. That's wow. That's kind of unheard of, right? It's usually like twenty years later. <laughs> I know. And all the stories that we've read, that seems to be the case yeah. that they're either let off or they get parole or uh, something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was. I wonder if that makes a difference on what state you're in, because this was Virginia. It does make a difference, but I think for the most part, no matter what state, you have to go through all your appeals, which takes years. And then, you know, once they set an execution date, then people still try to fight that. Maybe he didn't want an appeal. Maybe. Hmm. Interesting. Or all his appeals were denied in one swoop. Yeah. Who knows? Hmm. Okay, so I have one more. Okay. It's a very sensational case. <laughs> the Mendez brothers. Oh, yeah. Menendez yes. brothers. Yep. Yeah. 
So they uh, were killed. Sorry, no, they weren't. They were accused of killing their parents uh-huh. because their parents were abusive to them. Is what they said. And I think the father, kind of, the father, the father was abusive, was. Uh, not the mother. Okay, but she. she I must have known. Yeah, but and we talked about this a, case, little, a bit little bit when we talked about the two teen boys that went to go live with their dad and had that pedophile friend uh-huh. who convinced them that they had to kill their father yes and so the menendez brothers were kind of mentioned in that entire thing because it was kind of happening around the same time okay. and they were both two brothers that killed a parent okay and so i think that's when we mentioned them we didn't really go into in-depth talk about the menendez brothers right just and how they kind of related to to that case okay well th- Part of the reason that this stood out to me was because um, they were tried and they were sent to separate prisons. Mm -hmm. And just recently, it says after 20 years, they were reunited. And so now um, one of them has been sent to the same prison as the other one. And they get to see each other every day. That's interesting. Because one of the things when they were convicted was... That they were going to be separated in separate jails, but they also couldn't communicate with each other. Ah, okay. So, I I mean, 20 years later. Yes. So, my printer didn't print right. And so, these ads are, like, stuck on the front of my printing <laughs> for my article. So, none of my stuff really printed out, so I don't have a lot of details on it. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't know if that was right. For them to be able to to be together. Well, it's not like they're sharing a cell, but... But most uh, convicted people mm-hmm. have a day of visitation. They don't get to see their family every day, do they? Maybe the family just chooses not to go? No, no, they don't get to see their family every day, but... I don't know how common it is to separate family members from prison. Mm-hmm. Like if they're both convicted of something, mm-hmm. of whether or not they can be sent to the same prison. Like I think for them, it was very specific. You're not going to be sent to the same prison as a part of their punishment. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how often that's the case or if that's a regularly practiced thing. Like if you and another family member committed a crime mm-hmm. and both got convicted, mm-hmm. if they're like, okay, well, these two people cannot be in the same prison together because they're related, mm-hmm. or if it doesn't matter, and this was just done for them as a as a part of them being punished. Yeah, I don't know. That would be interesting to find out, I guess. Mm-hmm. And also their day-to-day life, I doubt they get to see each other 24-7. No, and I wouldn't expect that either. But still, I mean, mm-hmm. you get 20 minutes or an hour of visitation from somebody. In the yard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. I mean, but no, this is your brother, and you get to see him every day if you want to when they're out mm-hmm. doing whatever, like you said. Um, I don't know. I just think that it would make their sentence a lot easier if they were together. And is that really what it's about? I don't know. I'm being mean. (laughs) (laughs) 
after 20 years of being separated it's not enough well and in prison you form bonds you know because i mean what else you got yeah so I, i can imagine that other people that don't have actual blood relatives in prison with them uh-huh. form attachments to other prisoners true that's true and feel like their family yeah yeah and i think in prison that's a, a very common thing because you don't have a lot right and so when you make a friend you make a friend yeah <laughs> yes yeah well and it says here from what i can read behind this ad <laughs> that when he was transferred initially they couldn't interact mm-hmm. with each other but then um i guess more recently because he was transferred in february 2018 and so i guess now it says they can see each other every day every day we're gonna, get, we're gonna day. assume it means day yes <laughs> <laughs> so anyway it just caught my attention so so those are my sensational stories. If you haven't heard of those, <laughs> you should read up on them because they're very fascinating. And did not happen that long ago. This one started was eighty three mm-hmm. or eighty nine. It was something like that. Pretty late eighties, I think. Yeah, I saw something here a second ago that had a date on it. Eighty nine, August twentieth, eighty nine. And I think they're, they have each found love in prison and have been married. Okay. (laughs) Are they married to somebody in prison with them or are they married to somebody outside of prison? Outside of prison. Okay, just checking. I I wasn't sure. Pen pals and all that other craziness. Love after lockup, man. Which Start writing to each other and get married in prison. Yes. It's crazy. It's safe. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, you know that this person is a criminal, but at least you can rest assured that they are locked up. Hopefully for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Hopefully they don't get paroled and actually get out. I'll be, I'll be happy to, to marry you as long as I know that you're... <laughs> that you're in there for life. There. Yep. <laughs> and they're in there for life. Like there isn't like a possibility of parole or hmm. like a end date anywhere soon. Like they're in there forever. Hmm. And That's... they went in very young too. Oh yeah. They weren't even... They were still teenagers, weren't they? Or just um, early 20s? I think they were in their early 20s. Okay. I think the youngest one might have been closer to teens, uh-huh. but they were they were pretty young. Yeah. They were pretty young. All right. What you got? It's my turn. It's your you turn. to hear about Robert Durst? All years. <laughs> so Robert Durst, his family owns a lot of property in New York, and so they're super rich like they own property like on times square wow yeah so they're super rich donald trump rich (laughs) probably (laughs) richer than that i think but um in 1971 he met a woman named kathy mccormick who was a dental hygienist and then and they fell in love and got married 
And they were living in Vermont, where he owned and operated a health food store. Okay. So he was never really like too keen on the family business, mm-hmm. and so he had he had a little health food store called a Good Place. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they got married in 1973 because his father kept insisting. They moved to New York so he could join the family business. Mm-hmm. And that's when the couple got married. Um, they had just gotten together in 1971 in Vermont. But in 1973, they got married. He was 30 and she was 19. Wow. In 1980, the marriage sours. And Kathy tells her friends and family that he has become controlling and abusive. And um, claims that he forced her to have an abortion, that she was just, she wanted to get a divorce. Mm -hmm. But she wasn't sure if that was something he was going to really let her do. Mm -hmm. In January 31st of 1982, she attends a a party of her friend, Gilberta, in Connecticut. She receives an angry phone call from... Robert Durst, basically ordering her to, to go home. And Kathy tells her friend that if something happened to her, for her to check it out. Because she doesn't know what he's he would do to her. Wow. You know, when you have a suspicion like that, don't, don't go home. Don't go. Don't go. Yeah. February 5th of 1982, he reports Kathy missing. Okay, so that's February... First? Fifth. Fifth. And what day was the party? The 31st of January. Okay. Mm-hmm. So several days later, mm-hmm. he reports her missing. The way he tells it is that Kathy returned to the couple's South Salem cottage the night of the 31st. They had a fight and she wanted to go back to the city. So he tells the police that he dropped her off at the Metro North Station in Katona. Then spoke to her over the phone when she arrived at her Manhattan apartment. His story appears to be backed up by testimony from a doorman who says he saw Kathy enter the apartment building, as well as from the associate dean of her medical school who says a person identifying herself as Kathy called in sick the next day. When asked why he didn't report his wife missing sooner, he says that because of her med school duties, it was not unusual for him to go two or three days without seeing her. Mm-mm. So here's a, a little things that I'm like, that's kind of weird. Yeah. So you're in college mm-hmm. and you're not going to go to class. You're going to call the dean of the university to say, I'm not going to class because I'm sick. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. You just don't go to class. And then you, uh-huh. I mean, now you'd email your instructor. Sorry. Right. But then you couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, e- and even so, even if you were going to call someone. Would you not call your teachers? Right. Yeah. Your professors? No, I'm going to call the dean of the university. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Weird. In spring of 1982, a group of Kathy's friends start to investigate. Um, They go to Robert Durst's Westchester home and discover Kathy's mail in the trash unopened. They go to the police who have formed their own suspicions. The doorman admits he only saw Kathy from behind and from a distance. 
And despite Durst's claim that he spoke to his wife from a payphone, the nearest payphone is miles from his house. Why would you do that? Why would you leave your house, go to a payphone to call your wife to see if she made it back to the apartment? Yeah. Instead of just calling her from home. Right. But with no evidence of a crime, Kathy Durst's disappearance officially remains a missing person case. So, eventually Robert Durst withdraws from the press and appoints his friend Susan Berman, a New York magazine writer and daughter of a famous Las Vegas gangster, as his unofficial (laughs) spokesperson. Oh my gosh, okay. In 1983, after a period of mourning in which he retreated inside himself, Durst returns to work at his family's company. Let's see... In, 1990, in 1988, he starts dating Deborah Lee Charlton, an ambitious New York City real estate broker. So in 1990, Durst sells the South Salem Cottage and secretly divorces his missing wife, <laughs> citing abandonment. He moves into, the, uh, into an Upper East Side apartment with Charlton that same year, but leaves after nine months because the neighborhood is stuffy. You got to re- keep in mind that this man is very rich. <laughs> in 94, he is passed over as head of his family's company in favor of his younger brother, Douglas. This was apparently the last straw after he allegedly had a habit of peeing in his uncle's trash can. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He breaks. Yeah, not the best way to make friends. <laughs> it's like move up we're, in the company. We're not going to promote you. I don't care if you're the firstborn son. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Peeing in my trash. Yeah. Aren't you, kid? <laughs> so he breaks from his family and spends the rest of the decade traveling the country as a vagabond. A he, vagabond. Yep. Okay. He maintains an apartment in New York City and stays in intermittent contact with Charlton. His, mm-hmm. his wife. <laughs> oh, they got married? Yeah. Remember, he secretly divorced. divorced. Yes. Yeah, I thought they got married. Sorry, I thought you just said that they moved in together. Maybe you did say married, and I just didn't zone in on that. Oh, no. Yeah, you're right. They did not get married. Okay. But they were living together. So. Okay. This is weird. Late 1999, after receiving a bogus tip about the location of her body, police in Westchester reopened the Kathy Durst case, this time as a possible homicide. They searched the Durst's old cottage in South Salem, as well as a nearby lake, but they find nothing. So this is kind of important okay. that they reopen the case. August of 2000, uh-huh. Susan Berman, the his unofficial spokesperson, person that was the daughter of a gangster susan berman short on cash and living in los angeles writes durst a letter asking for money months later he spends her he sends her a gift two checks worth twenty five thousand dollars each wow around that time the new york police reach out to berman about the newly reopened kathy durst case Mm -hmm. mainly because they think that the person that the doorman saw was Susan Berman, dressed up like Kathy, looking like she had left the apartment as a way to cover for Robert. Got it. And now she's asking for more blackmail money. She's asking for money. 
and the police are in contact with her uh-huh. about what do you know about this? Yeah. Because they were besties. So December 11th of 2000. Oh, yeah. Durst marries Charlton, which is so weird. <laughs> it took that long. Yep. Well, and they don't live together. And he's just kind of traveling around, you yeah. know? Like, <laughs> so weird. Uh, in a secret 15-minute ceremony. Ooh, that's romantic. Yep. The ra- the rabbi was hired out of the phone book and later told the Daily News that Durst was rather taciturn. He was not buoyant and didn't smile. <laughs> so, okay. So in December 19th of 2000, Durst flies from New York City to San Francisco, then heads south, destination unknown. Hmm. We'll find out where he where he ends up. <laughs> December 23rd of 2000, Durst flies back to New York from San Francisco. December 24th of 2000, Berman is found dead in her Los Angeles home. Oh, With a gunshot that. wound to her head. There were no signs of forced entry. Mm-hmm. And all her valuables remain in place. The main piece of evidence is an anonymous letter addressed to the Beverly Hills, in quotation marks because Beverly is misspelled, <laughs> police, which informs that there, there is a cadaver in Berman's house. Though Kathy Durst's friends suspect that she was murdered to keep her from telling the police what she knew about the disappearance. Uh-huh. Berman's own circle maintains that her mob-like code of loyalty would have prevented her from even considering testifying against Durst. Which I think is... Come on now. Right. So she's asking for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we all know how loyal the mob is, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> the LAPD considers Durst a possible suspect, but focuses on her manager, Niall Brenner. In April of 2001, to escape media attention, Durst moves to Galveston, Texas, <gasps> where he poses as a mute woman named Dorothy Siner, <laughs> which was the which was the name of a former high school classmate. That is odd. He lives in a Spartan boarding house where his neighbor is an elderly man named Morris Black. So that was April of 2001. September 30th of 2001, a family fishing in Galveston discovers a dismembered torso floating off the beach. Police investigate the bay and find additional severed body parts, as well as the packaging for a bow saw and a newspaper with the address of the boarding house. (laughs) When police search the trash at the boarding house, they find a receipt with Durst's name on it. October 3rd of 2001, police return to the boarding house with a search warrant and find blood in Black's room as well as a trail of blood leading to the apartment of Siner. A search of that apartment yields a bloody knife and a bloody pair of men's boots. After realizing that the torso is Black's and that Siner is Durst, they put a warrant out for Durst's arrest. October 9th of 2001, police finally arrest Durst, who had been staying at a hotel under the name of Jim Truce, another high school classmate. A search of his car reveals the bow saw that was used to dismember Black, as well as a gun. With Charlton's help, he posts a $300,000 bail, then disappears. 
What they let him have bail for? They should have known he was a flat risk. <laughs> Uh, October 18th, 2001, posing as Morris Black, Durst rents a car in Mobile, Alabama. Okay, so let's see. Okay, so November of 2001, a judge in New York declares Kathy Durst legally dead. The $60,000 Durst inherits is placed in escrow until the investigation into her death is completed. November 30th of 2001, Durst is finally arrested in Pennsylvania after he's caught trying to shoplift a sandwich (laughs) i guess he's uh run out of money oh no no he has more than 500 dollars in cash on him wow his car is found to contain two guns morris black's driver's license and 37 thousand dollars wow but he was trying to shoplift a sandwich to risk getting caught for a sandwich He's either, I don't think he's crazy, like Uh crazy, crazy. Uh Like, I think he just has no idea that he can't just do what he wants. Oh. You know, like he had $500 in his pocket. Mm -hmm. When he got caught stealing a sandwich, he could have been like, here's $500. Is that how much a sandwich costs? Bye. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but I think he was just like, I'm just going to go in here and get a sandwich and just like, I can do what I want. Uh Uh-huh. Huh. September of 2003, he goes on trial for the death of Morris Black. He argues that he killed Black in self-defense after the older man threatened him with a gun, although he admits, I did dismember him. He also admits that his marriage to Sheraton was a marriage of convenience to give her power of attorney. So, okay. September of 2003, right? He's going Mm -hmm. on trial for this. And that's what he claims. He claims that this was Mm self-defense. That Morris Black found out that he was Robert Durst, that he wasn't a deaf mute Mm -hmm. woman. Or just a mute woman. I don't remember which one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so they get into a scuffle and he ends up killing him. And so he says that the reason that he dismembered him and got rid of his body was because he thought the police wouldn't believe him. That it was done in self-defense. Okay. So, he dismembered the body and got rid of it. And then went on the run. That was his defense. Okay. Um, I was trying to think if there was anything else involved in all this. Oh, they never found the head. Ooh, There's that. So, they couldn't really say how morris black died okay and so that that was his claim was that they had a fight he tried to get the gun away from him accidentally shot him didn't think the police were going to believe him so he dismembered the body wrapped it up in trash bags and newspaper from your own house with your address (laughs) on it and (laughs) went around and dumped body parts okay so that was September of 2003. November 11th of 2003, Durst is found not guilty. Really? Can you imagine a Texas jury yeah. listening to all of this and then finding him not guilty? Uh, well, even <laughs> that this is 2003. So, uh-huh. like, if it were 83, yes, I can completely believe that. Uh, but no, not now or not. 
Not then. Then, yeah. So, September 29th of 2004, Durst pleads guilty to tampering with evidence and jumping bail. He is sentenced to five years in prison with credit for time served, which means he spent no time in jail. December 2005, Durst is paroled and told to stay near his home. He violates these instructions and returns to the boarding house where a black was killed, as well as a mall, where he is spotted by the judge who presided <laughs> over his murder trial. <laughs> Durst is thrown back in jail for violating his parole. He really, he really thought he could just do whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. <clears throat> like, it's just like, I can do whatever I want. So, let's see. February 7, 2006, Durst receives a $65 million settlement from his family. March 1, 2006, after his lawyer files a petition against the parole restrictions were too obtrusive, Durst is released from prison. So, now he's out walking free. Oh, yeah. There's more. Oh, okay. There's... There is more. <laughs> but that's the best part. <laughs> There's more. Okay. In 2010, Andrew Jarecki made a docudrama based on Durst's life called All Good Things, which has Ryan Gosling in it. And he plays Robert Durst's character. Nice. Kirsten Dunst plays the wife. Okay. So... In 2010, the movie is released. Durst sees the film at a private screening and later tells the New York Times, parts made me cry. So, against the advice of his lawyer, he contacts Jarecki to offer a lengthy sit-down interview, which will eventually become HBO's documentary called The Jinx. (laughs) This is important. All of this is important. So, late 2010... Durst is interviewed on camera for the jinx uh-huh. and denies any c- culpability in the deaths of Kathy Durst and Susan Berman because people think that he killed Susan Berman to shut her up. Uh-huh. Sometime after his first interview, Jarecki discovers an envelope addressed to Berman from Durst, which matches the handwriting of the cadaver letter and includes the same misspelling of Beverly Hills. Oh. <laughs> 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 2012 Jarecki interviews Durst a second time and confronts him about the newfound envelope Durst is unable to identify which handwriting is not his <laughs> in the bathroom afterwards Durst mutters to himself there it is you're caught what the hell did I do killed them all of course no way his mic was still on he was in the bathroom didn't realize oh, that the mic was still on. Oh my gosh. So Durst's microphone is on. The audio remains unexamined for two years. <gasps> so they didn't know until they started like doing editing and all that. So uh-huh. early 2013, Jarecki begins sharing the results of his investigation with the police. Uh-huh. August 16th of 2013, Robert Durst is arrested for violating a restraining order his brother had placed against him. In the jinx, the talent is arranged to show this arrest happening before Durst's second interview. And basically, there's a restraining order against him that he's not allowed to go, you know, near his brother. And he mm-hmm. does. Okay. Um, he is later acquitted on trespassing charges after arguing he should not have... <laughs> 
He's acquitted on trespassing charges after arguing he should not have been expected to know where his estranged family members lived. <laughs> what? Like, is, so, that, is that not in your... In, in the order? In the restraining order? You can't go here. Yes, this specific address. Yeah. I didn't know they lived there. It was an accident. I didn't know they lived there. I cannot be expected to know where they live. Wow. But he, but he, it worked. He was acquitted of these trespassing charges. I was like, oh, well, I mean, I guess you're right. In early 2014, the LAPD reopens the, its investigation into Susan Berman's murder. Uh, June 12th of 2014, the Jinx filmmakers discover the audio of Durst's bathroom monologue. July 24th, 2014, Durst turns himself in after peeing on a candy rack in a Houston CVS. What the heck? He later pleads no contest to criminal mischief and receives a $500 fine. He just likes to pee wherever he wants to. He likes to do whatever he wants, pee wherever he wants. He's just... He doesn't care. November 2014, after re-examining the cadaver letter, the LAPD concludes that Durst was the author. March 10th of 2015, after the fifth episode of The Jinx introduces the crucial envelope, Durst goes on the run. At the same time, a Los Angeles judge signs a warrant for Durst's arrest for the murder of Susan Berman. March 14th of 2015, the day before The Jinx finale, the FBI arrests Durst in New Orleans where he is thought to be planning an escape to Cuba. At the time of his arrest, Durst is in the position of a gun, $40,000, and a latex mask. The LAPD denies that the show had anything to do with the timing of Durst's arrest, while legal experts disagree over whether or not his bathroom confession will be admissible in court. March 17th of 2015, he is officially charged with first-degree murder. Because he's accused of murdering a witness and lying in wait, he could face the death penalty if convicted. March 18th of 2015, the New York Daily News discovers a 2003 report from the San Francisco District Attorney's Office that attempts to connect Durst to the 1997 disappearance of two teenage girls in North California. According to the report, Durst could, would frequently stay at a homeless shelter where one of the missing teens volunteered. He stays at a homeless shelter. When he's super duper rich? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. March 23rd of 2015, Durst's extradition to California is put on hold while he faces charges in Louisiana for the gun found in his hotel room. March 24th of 2015, the Vermont police begin investigating a possible link between Durst and a college student who went missing in 1971 after shopping at his health food store. Wow. So... That's kind of where that ends in 2015, but uh-huh. four years after his arrest, which would be this year, uh-huh. he is, they finally set a trial date. Four years later, they finally set a, tr- a trial date. Wow. So he is going to go on trial September 3rd. Of this year. Of this year. And it looks as a, that there was a setback in his defense where the judge ruled that the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office can present evidence in the trial relating to the 2001 killing of a Texas neighbor okay. that he was acquitted for, 
Oh. So they can bring that up hmm. at his trial. So where is this trial taking place? It just in Los Angeles. Okay. Because that's where, because he's being, um, he's going on trial for Susan Berman's murder. Okay. So that's pretty much the whole claim is that he killed his wife, Kathy. Susan Berman knew about it, helped him, mm-hmm. was getting ready to talk. And so he killed her. And I want to say that they're allowing in the evidence from the documentary too. He's just stupid. And that is the very weird case of Robert Durst. I think he is the epitome of a dumb criminal. I think he is the epitome of an incredibly entitled criminal. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that too. Because dumb, he doesn't seem dumb or else he would have been caught already. But the whole I can do what I want when I want is what gets him caught for small things. Right. You would think that he would have just... Laid low, disappeared, done whatever he wanted somewhere mm-hmm. else. I don't know. Well, that sounds like he kind of did that. <laughs> Do teenage girls go missing when he's staying well, at a homeless shelter? That's true, yeah. That's not really what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, I can't believe that he killed his neighbor and that he got acquitted. Like if you look online and you see some see the video of him, uh-huh. you know, standing up because they're going to say what their verdict is and like the look on his face when they say not guilty. He was totally ready. Like I think he thought that he was going to prison. Yeah. And you can just see like the relief and the shock when they say not guilty. I wonder if those jurors were like, dang it. (laughs) (laughs) We were wrong. I'm just like, that's... Do you think they were paid off? No, I don't think they were paid off. I just think... I can't imagine how you would sit through any of that evidence and just be like, we're going to believe Robert Durst, his entire self-serving testimony, that they had a fight... He shot him accidentally mm-hmm. and then was like, everybody's going to think I did this on purpose. So I'm going to cut this guy up. I'm okay. going to go buy a bow saw and cut this guy <laughs> up. So I completely agree with you, but I'm just thinking back to a case that we talked about the jury and how they fight and scheme and plan amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with the trial itself. Yeah. It's like, okay, you think this way and I like you, so I'll think that way too. Mm-hmm. Instead of actually looking at the evidence for yourself and yeah. voting. I don't know. It was just crazy. It's so crazy. So, and he's going on trial soon. <clears throat> so, so there's more to the story. Yes. Uh-huh. We'll have to, to watch. Yeah. Kathy has never been found. They've never never found her. And so I'm thinking he did the same thing to Kathy that he did to Morris. Mm-hmm. Killed her, then cut her up. and He just was probably not intentional, but put her in unmarked <laughs> right. stuff where that couldn't be traced back to him mm-hmm. instead of something with his address on it. Mm-hmm. Right, and I'm thinking he 
this was also in the 70s when he killed her. Mm-hmm. So a little, a little easier to get away with things back in the 70s. Yeah. And for him to be driving around to stop at a payphone several miles away from his home yes. to call the apartment. Like, yeah. I think he was driving around dumping things. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, oh, I bet Susan's at the apartment now. So I'm going to call her. Uh-huh. Because I totally think that that's who that was. Yeah. That Susan Berman went to the apartment, made sure someone saw her dressed like Kathy walking out. Yeah. It's fascinating. He's gotten away with all that mm-hmm. all these years. Yeah. He's killed several people. Has gone to trial for one of them. Got acquitted of it. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And then now he's probably going to have time served for part of it, too. Four oh, years, at least. Yeah. Unless he gets life. Then it's not going to matter. Right. Fascinating. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy? Yes. So, you should definitely watch A Good Place. It is very good. A Good Place. Okay. Yes, that was the, the movie that they did with Ryan Gosling and Kirsten Dunst. Okay. It was very good. Um I want to watch this, the Jinx thing. Yeah, the Jinx is, that's a good, very good documentary. (laughs) So, but yes, he does. Like, I've seen Mm -hmm. both of these. And he goes into the bathroom, doesn't realize that either he forgot that his mic was still on or what, but he's mumbling and talking to himself and after the whole envelope thing, and he's all like, say, you're caught. Oh my gosh. What did you do? Well, killed them all, of course. She's like, there, there, like, there's no way to misinterpret that dude. Right. <laughs> I was like, That's not what I meant. <laughs> I like, and he is weird. And one of the we- like one of the things about that documentary that really kind of bothers me is that the Andrew Jarecki and the other person that was doing the documentary with him, like, they're constantly talking about how much they like Robert Durst. He said, you know, that, and I'm just like, really? Hmm. I'm like, I don't know. He's very creepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes you question their character. Mm-hmm. So it's good stuff. Yeah. Very good stuff. Yeah. And he's so crazy. Like, I, I knew most of this stuff. Uh-huh. And I had read that he was going to be going to trial for Susan Berman's thing fairly soon. Mm-hmm. So then I started looking into it more and I had no idea about like those two missing teenagers in the nineties mm-hmm. at the homeless shelter and the missing girl from the seventies that had gone to the health food store. Uh-huh. I was like, Oh, wow. Was she ever found? I don't think so. Yeah, the 1971 girl was missing and just says disappearance of two teenage girls in Northern California in 1997. So they weren't found either. It doesn't sound like they were found either. Huh. So he probably is doing the same thing with them. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think the family was right to... Cut him loose. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they, like, um, they had to have known he did something to Kathy, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's a, 
couple of different um, things out there about what happened with Kathy. One of them being that he was abusive and she wanted a divorce. Mm-hmm. And uh, she started looking into the family business mm-hmm. to try to get some leverage. And that she found out about some legal things that they were doing oh. to try to get leverage in the divorce. Oh. But none of that's really substantiated. Just Which could... Yeah. Be why they gave him money, paid him off too. Mm -hmm. And they may have been involved with. I think he killed Kathy because she wanted to leave. Okay. And he wasn't having that. Uh huh. Didn't have anything to do with the other. Mm -hmm. Even though when they separated, they they had separated for a long time Mm -hmm. and they started seeing other people. Like he started to date Prudence Farrow. Mm hmm. Who is the woman that, is that the Beatles that wrote the Hey Prudence song? Maybe. Sounds right. It's, it does sound right. <clears throat> yeah. But I don't. So that that Prudence uh-huh. is the Prudence from that song. Really? And he was dating her for a while. Hmm. And so when it came down to like actually getting a divorce, uh-huh. like... I don't think he wanted that. Like, I think he was just like, you do you and I do me. And, yeah, you know, everybody can think that we're married or I have no idea, like, why it would be such a big, big deal to him. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was just that she she wanted to leave, like, and it wasn't his decision. Yeah. Because he sounded very controlling and abusive. Right. It's fascinating. Or he just lost it at that last fight. Yeah. Went too far. Mm-hmm. So, yes. That's a very brief history of Robert Durst. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot going on. But I highly recommend watching The Jinx and um, A Good Place. A Good Place has... Ryan Gosling in it, y'all. So, I mean, you can't go wrong. <laughs> Ryan Gosling being a creepy murderer. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> hmm. he plays the Robert Durst character. Did you still feel bad for him in the movie? <clears throat> Did he still... Oh, my gosh. That's the thing about Ryan Gosling. Yeah. At some point, I feel you bad. You always feel bad for whatever <laughs> For whatever he's, he's doing. Playing. And it's just like, wait a minute. He's a murderer. <laughs> can't feel bad. It's not that I feel bad for... The character is just Brian Gosling, man. He starts playing these these characters, and you're just like, I feel so bad for him. <laughs> so I was going to talk about the University of Texas tower shooting. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, because that was pretty sensational. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess when it happened, um, or shortly after it happened... You know, people were saying, like, it was the most important story in the news next to, you know, the Vietnam War, which is mm-hmm. taking place, was it, which is around when it took place, 1966 mm-hmm. in August. And so I was reading this, and it breaks down, like, like our, you know, minute by minute, these people were shot during this time, and this is where they were wounded, and this is what happened to them, and... 
and I was like, man, this is this is really intense. I mean, it's just yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, we read stories about stuff like that, or mm-hmm. we see things like that, but it was just so surgical in its presentation, and and how you're just you're just like reading it like this is like it's happening, like this is what happened. Mm-hmm. It's like, ugh. it was uh, it was just intense. I was reading it. I'm like, this is crazy. So, how many people were were killed? Um, well, when it happened, there was 16 people that were killed. Um, and then there was an unborn child that was killed. Uh, and then there was a man who died in 2001 from, uh, from complications related to an injury. Like he only had one good kidney. Oh. And he was hit in the kidney. And he was in pain for the rest of his life and mm-hmm. went off of dialysis because he was just done. But they still ruled wow. it as a, a homicide yeah. related to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... So anyway, the um, I don't know, I don't think I'd ever really looked into a lot of the details about this, but uh, just reading a little bit about it was pretty enlightening. Um, I knew that they had linked his you know his shooting to a mental illness of sorts. They think that it was because he had a tumor above like um, on his amygdala, mm-hmm. and there's so much that here happened that could have like that could have prevented it from happening. Um, he had been to doctors, been to like psych- psychiatrists and stuff, and mm-hmm. told him about his violent tendencies and tried to get help. And I guess he didn't get the help he needed, or they couldn't figure out what the deal was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's more than just a brain, like a mental, you know, mm-hmm. brain thing. I mean, it's a physical yeah, tumor. A tumor. So yeah. it's not like they could have fixed him with just therapy. They would have had to probably take that out if it was even possible. Right. Um, but Charles Whitman was the name of the, the man. He was a, mar- a former Marine and a student there, um, but he lost his scholarship because of gambling addiction and bad grades. Um, yeah, before the attack, he had sought out professional help for his overwhelming violent impulses, including fantasies about shooting people from the tower. Hmm. Yeah. So the day he did it, he killed his wife and his mother, um, and it, I think he left a note s- saying how much he loved both of them, but he wanted to prevent future humiliation and suffering. Um, so then he went out and bought a bunch of weapons, a bunch of firearms, and uh, let's see, I think he had one, two, three, four. Include, it looks like four long arms, including several rifles and a shotgun and three pistols and like over 700 rounds of ammunition. Wow. Um, and he, he loaded up on like canned goods and water and, and he was ready to camp out up there for the long term. Wow. Um, and so when he went into the, the tower, um, the elevator was out of order. Mm-hmm. So he asked the person at the bottom, the, you know, the receptionist or whoever it was he was like can you you know can you activate the elevator and she turned it on for him and he went and took all that stuff up to the top of the, the pavilion and he I, he was i guess he wasn't trying to like hide that he had a bunch of firearms mm-hmm. and some of the, like the the person that helped him that saw him thought that he was going up there to shoot pigeons or something like that interesting like, i guess that they were they had a, a urban bird problem and uh-huh. so they thought that he was going to to help to deal with that. 
Still not a good idea. Uh, you know, yeah, right. there with all it's those like, people. I'm just, I just think that that's, yeah. I just, I'm like, that's crazy to think because nobody could. Yeah, that was a, that was a lot for pigeons. Yeah. And also, did she not ask? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, sure, I'll turn that elevator on for you, but uh, what, what's all this? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, I'm going to go up there to shoot pigeons. Oh, okay. That seems legit with everything else. That seems to fit with everything mm-hmm. that's going on. You know, we have a big pigeon problem. But if he's just like, uh... Right. But yeah, he got all this stuff on his hand truck. And the, it's quote, quoted here that the employee that turned on the elevator, he just continued to say, thank you, ma'am. Or thank you, ma'am, before repeatedly saying, you don't know how happy that makes me. And then he... Yeah, all it took all his weapons on his hand truck and went up to the tower. I wonder if she would not have turned it on, what he would have done. Probably killed her. Probably. That's what I'm thinking. Because the first, the first people he killed, he just like I guess he hit him with the butt of his rifle, and before he started shooting people. Um. And that was somebody on the observation deck, so. That was the that was the pigeon person. They thought that they were going up there to okay. So there was actually someone coming up there to shoot pigeons. No, no, there, okay. that, no that was the person that said that. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I'm like, he took out. The there was somebody person. on the pavilion, and they thought that he was going up to the observation deck to to shoot pigeons, and then that's when he, I guess, that's when he beat him up with his rifle. Um. You know, and I can totally see that because. You have it in, you're not thinking somebody's going to do something bad, you know, so you've got it in your head. We've got this pigeon problem and it's, it's on your mind and, you know, you see some dude show up with a gun and that's just, you just kind of put two and two together. That's what you associate it with Mm -hmm. because that's the conversation you've been having and all that. Mm -hmm. You don't just naturally assume that they're going to do something and especially when this happened, which was in, you said, 60, 66. 66. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think it would have been a huge red flag. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just thinking about if this happened today, like, every, I think everybody would, like, would ask or try to stop him or call somebody. I don't yeah. think anybody would be just like, oh, yeah, go, yeah, take that stuff up to the tower. Yeah. You know? Get on that elevator for you, yeah. buddy. I'm going to turn on well, that elevator for you, and when you're, like, somewhere in between floors, I'm turning it off. <laughs> that person Possibly. probably wouldn't even have had the access to turn it on and off. Mm-hmm. The receptionist or, you know, that person mm-hmm. in that building. But somehow they did. Back then, I can see yeah. that, but now I now, don't. Mm-mm. I see that, that being a completely different, mm-hmm. that's a building. Whole different department, buddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't turn that on. It's like, what? I can turn on and off the elevator? Where? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, then when he was up there, he proceeded to, to, I guess, shoot at everybody that was in sight and in range. Because, ta- I mean, there were students from the university. Um, there were some kids delivering papers. Um, there was... Just, you know, random passerbys that just happened to be in range. Mm -hmm. Um, And just reading about this, you know, in in retrospect again, you know, this is before there were SWAT teams or Mm -hmm. anything like that. And 
And I'm thinking, like, you know, today, if you're taking cover behind a car or behind a, you know, whatever, um, everybody's got their phone, so you're going to be calling 911, you're going to be, te- you know, calling, you know, family mm-hmm. or just whoever you think you need to talk to or can help you. You might even contact other people in the school and say, like, hey, this is happening. So you people would eventually, you know, hear, like, what's happening and, mm-hmm. you know, like, stay away from the tower or whatever it's in mm-hmm. this area. But before that, it's just everybody's out there. They hear yeah. gunshots. People are getting shot. It's what, you know. You don't know where to go to take Where to go or, or where it's coming from or, or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's a lot different situation than we would be dealing with today. Um, for instance, one of the things that, that, just, uh, that just killed me was um, there was a security guard in the bottom of the tower. Mm-hmm. And two students had retreated in because they they saw what's happening and so and the security guard thought it was safe to go out he told them it was safe and they went out and he shot them oh wow and that's just because there's no i guess no communication as to what mm-hmm. was happening nobody really knew mm-hmm. so that's crazy i bet he felt so bad for the rest of his life yeah yeah but eventually the police got got up to the tower and they shot him and killed him. So that was, it, took, it was a 96-minute event. Mm-hmm. And he shot and killed 16 people and uh, injured 31 people. Now, wasn't there something recently that happened in that area? Or maybe at the same campus? Was there? For some reason, I, I remember some kind of correlation being made between what happened in 67 or 66 um, to something that had happened fairly recently. And I I can't remember what that is. If there was some kind of shooting and maybe it was a different shooting on a different campus or something. And I seem to recall something like that, but... I didn't. I didn't read about it in what I was reading here. Okay. And maybe it was just correlation with the Virginia Tech shooting. Yeah. Uh, but there's been a lot of references and and stuff to it. Um, one of the things that I I remember seeing when I was a kid was the X Files episode that was inspired by the event. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And. Uh, and Mulder climbs up to the top of the tower and like calms the guy down and stops him from shooting. He doesn't actually, he doesn't kill the guy in in that episode, but it was inspired by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I just in some of the other things I read. There's a lot, still a lot of discussion about the event and what happened. And I think that they've recently there's been a lot of talks about memorials because there wasn't like an official like memorial or anything there was like a garden or something that was built kind of in memory of but um recent i guess recently they they have been working to to make something a little more you know more more of a dedication to mm-hmm. the victims yeah that's more like you know visible yeah something that people see um and of course now people want to you know study this event and find out or you know unpack that and I'm just like, uh, you know, we still have a long way to go because 
it seems like we ha- they had this, and you hear about this this guy, and he went and tried to get help and everything, and still, mm-hmm. there, you know, nobody. That's a there's a whole set of issues in that entire thing. Yeah, our mental health system. Mm-hmm. You know, not good. He tried to get help, and though there was that he had mental health issues, he also had physical health issues mm-hmm. that never got even looked at so we couldn't get help for that um and what was it an afternoon he went and bought a whole bunch of guns yeah you know and, and he told one of them rounds that, yeah. of ammunition he told one of the stores uh clerks that he was going to go hunt wild hogs after buying eight boxes of ammunition and you know and a rifle mm-hmm. and, and then he went to another store and bought more mm-hmm. you know But it's just, you know, we're still dealing with the same issues today, and more and more they're just, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it doesn't excuse anything, but but they're discovering that there's a lot of health, mental health issues behind the things that, mm-hmm. that these, you know, mass shootings, these people that do these things, things that weren't dealt with, or... Well, there's a lot there's mean, a, yeah. going on there. There's yeah. mental health issues, there's the inability to deal with rejection, mm-hmm. and... It's just, yeah. I guess that can still fall under a mental health issue, right? But it's com- compounded issues. Yeah, and yeah. There's not just any one thing that. Yeah. But. But I mean, I, I'm. This is things we still hear about where they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, he went to the doctor about this, you know, this mm-hmm. issue, and and even said, you know, it's like this should be obvious, and and then, and, you know, then you couple weeks later you hear about him doing something like this so. yeah mm-hmm. I don't know. yeah especially when they're blatant about specifics mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and specific violence and that 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 should be looked into which i'm sure that it is more now than it ever was back then yeah like i can't imagine that in the 60s mental health was really even considered that big of an issue mm-hmm. you yeah. know i think especially back then you know there was a lot of you know just get over it yeah. right and that's not the way mental <laughs> mental health works right <laughs> and so. so anyway yes that was pretty sensational and pretty close to home mm-hmm. being a texas event so we have the uh, the movie, the, the kind of animated documentary of sorts that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, called It's just called Tower. We have that here at the library to check out if you want to to watch that. I've heard that it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it yet. but Do you know when it was um, put out? I think it was produced? 2016. I yeah, think I was it, was it was a few years so, ago. It yeah. was fairly new. Yeah. I did. I forgot to watch it, and also I've been a little busy <laughs> with some some things that I'm trying to finish. Yeah, some well, deadlines. It's okay. Like this wasn't. <laughs> this conversation was just about things that we, you know, heard and read about. Yeah. Not a whole book or anything like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I watched uh, the Good Place and the Jinx like forever ago. Like mm-hmm. that was. <laughs> I was like, oh, I need to watch these right now so I can. Freshen up on Robert Durst. <laughs> well, when I was looking too, I also looked through some information about celebrity 
murders, mm-hmm. celebrity murderers, oh. actually. And it was very fascinating that most of them, not most celebrities, but most of the ones who had killed someone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which is a pretty small list. Yeah, thinking about it. Um, had done it um, in a car. Huh. Vehicular manslaughter. Like they'd gone through an intersection mm-hmm. um, or like you know, accident. Things. Yes. So, and some of the people on the list were kind of surprising. I'm mm-hmm. I'm kind of afraid to to mention this one, but <laughs> I'm gonna do it. Well, it's on the internet, <laughs> she can delete it. There you go. Uh, Laura Bush. Oh yeah, she I, had I killed. Um, which it's really interesting though if you think about it in this way. She had um, her and her friend were in a car and they had gone through an intersection and hit one of their friends. Oh, wow. And he died. And um, they said something that it may have been a boyfriend at the time or something. Um, But maybe that relationship was not meant to be so that, you know, she could go on to other things. But, you know, it just is interesting to Mm -hmm. think about. Um, Let's see. Uh, Was it Venus Williams? Uh Uh-huh. That was pretty recent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Had gone through an intersection. And the driver of the other car did not die, but it was the passenger of the other mm-hmm. car that was 78-year-old man um, who died. And there were a bunch. Let's see, um, Mark Wahlberg hmm. had um, killed somebody in, I think it was a car accident kind of way. Wow. And... Some of them, I think he was a teen when it happened. And I he, honestly... Marky Mark at that time? I don't know. He, he may have been. <laughs> he was about to be Marky Mark. <laughs> I think he was like 16, and I can't remember the whole story about it. Oh, now it's killing me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think he served some time for that one. Oh. And... Yeah, I can't remember the other. Some of them were singers, some were, were actors, mm-hmm. and different things. But um, but then some of them actually did kill somebody. Um, this one singer had stabbed his girlfriend in the stomach, and then claimed that s- somebody else did it. He didn't. He found her, and then of course uh-huh. he claimed that ended up coming Turned out, that, out he, that he did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were very few of those. Mm-hmm. But I, now I didn't read anything about uh, Robert Wagner. Oh, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Of course, OJ was on there. I just, everybody knows that. It's like, I'm not even <laughs> yeah. going to waste my breath with that. I think so, we pretty much decided that we're just not ever going to talk about OJ. No, <laughs> I, I, like, there's no need. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was, that was pretty interesting. Looking at it from that aspect also. So, One of the things, and I think I told Chris about this, that's been on the Spanish entertainment channels mm-hmm. was that mm-hmm. there was um, a soap opera star. Yeah. Um, this was, gosh, this was super recent. Um, he was a passenger in 
um, a vehicle that was being driven by his brother-in-law. And there was some kind of road rage altercation. Uh-huh. And so the brother-in-law got out of the car to go talk to the other driver. Uh-huh. The other driver was an elderly man. Mm-hmm. Or older. I don't know if he was elderly, elderly. But he was definitely older than them. Uh-huh. And so he went over there to, to talk to him. And that guy was, like, super pissed off and was yelling and, you know, all kinds of stuff at him. So... He got back into the car like he was like, you know, whatever, dude. And so he was going to get back into the car. And the passenger, which was the soap opera star, um, who I don't know what the man said, but he said something mm-hmm. because he got out of the car. Oh. And he went over there and then they were yelling at each other and he punched him. <gasps> the soap opera star punched the older man uh-huh. and the older man died. Oh, my gosh. From being punched. Yeah. Oh I think today or yesterday it was on the news that he was being charged with a involuntary manslaughter, I think it was. Yeah. And where was this? I think it was in Los Angeles. Control your emotions. But because he's, you know, fairly rich, like he's in house arrest. Like, oh, okay. He's not. Nothing's happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And involuntary manslaughter, like, if he spends any time in jail, it's going to be almost nothing. Yeah. And if they can draw that out mm-hmm. years, he could probably actually do time served. Yeah. So. Which you would want to think, you think you want to get it just over with, but I guess in some instances you don't. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, he's under house arrest so mm-hmm. he can't leave his house or anything like that it'd be like if he was sitting in county yeah you know i mean it's not like he's walking around free right. though i mean house arrest come on yeah and then if he's rich <laughs> right how big is that house yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> there was one actress that um had murdered her husband with a letter opener <gasps> yeah <laughs> Faye something and so mm. it was quite some time ago, but I thought that was fascinating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it a, a metal letter opener? Shaped like know. a little sword. I'm thinking. I mean, I, I can only guess that it was, but you know, they make those plastic ones too. Yes. Well, it's been quite some time, and maybe plastic wasn't as prevalent then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it was probably in the 60s or something. Yeah. That this so happened. they yeah. probably had like letter openers. Yeah, like yes. real sturdy <laughs> letter openers. <laughs> there were more letters back then. That's right. Yeah, very <laughs> true. And they wanted it to last. Yes. Yeah. So. All right. Um, Are we good? I think so. That We'll call that an anniversary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Happy been, anniversary, yeah, y'all. Do we like murder? And here's to another year. Many more years. Many more years of discussion of murder and other <laughs> true Murder crime. talk. Yes. So <laughs> thanks for joining us for this last year. Yeah. Occasionally we'll throw in something that's not murder, but mainly by accident, I'm sure. Well, and it'll be something so great like Lorena Bobbitt. Yeah. 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 I was like, <laughs> no one died, but I got to tell you about this. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you listeners for helping us have a successful program. I'm glad that you you like it. And we will, you will hear us again soon.